Hillary's mayor charged with mischief. It's hugely troubling. It's a very, very big blemish for the city and for the mayor. The criminal case against Doug McCallum and what it means for his political future. Reconstructing the Coquihalla. The scale and pace of repairs here is absolutely amazing. A first-hand look at the massive repair job on this critical highway. And bringing back the games. It's going to be so exciting to take this step forward together with all of us. A new push for 2030 and how this bid is about much more than the Olympics. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. In a shocking turn of events, an investigation that started with the mayor of Surrey making a complaint to RCMP has now culminated in Doug McCallum being criminally charged, accused of making a false statement to police. What this means for McCallum's role as head of the police board in just a moment. But first, more on the allegation and calls for the mayor's resignation. Catherine Urquhart reports. All in favor. He's mayor of BC's second largest city. And now, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum is charged criminally with public mischief. He needs to resign and he needs to resign now. Not just from the city of Surrey, but from the police board. It's deeply troubling. It's a huge blemish for the mayor and for the city of Surrey. I'm very, very troubled by this. On September 6th, Olymping, McCallum told Global News he had been struck by a car two days earlier. He said it happened in the South Point Save-On Foods parking lot. McCallum said the driver was there collecting signatures for the Surrey Police Vote Initiative, which aims to keep the RCMP in Surrey. As she, she pulled out and, and turned right, she clipped my knee and, and my bottom leg and then ran over my foot at the same time and then took off. McCallum told us he did his grocery shopping, went to the hospital, then spoke to the RCMP. They asked me if I wanted to lay charges and I said yes. Days later, Global News was contacted by the RCMP and told to preserve the interview. Then on September 21st, RCMP officers arrived at Global Studios and served News Director Bupinder Hundal with a BC Supreme Court production order. It stated they're investigating a case of public mischief and requested a copy of my raw, unedited interview with McCallum, which is now evidence in the case. A charge of public mischief is committed when someone misleads or triggers a police investigation by making a false statement or accusation. The charge carries a maximum sentence of five years in prison. We don't want people making false accusations against other citizens and expending our precious police resources. That's wrong. That's criminal. In response to the criminal charge, Doug McCallum said he would not be granting interviews, releasing only a brief statement saying... We are in the middle of changing from RCMP to the Surrey Police Service, and as this matter is before the courts, I will not be making any comment. McCallum is represented by high-profile lawyer Richard Peck, who also represented Huawei's Meng Wanzhou. The mayor's PR team won't confirm that taxpayers will be paying the bills. Instead, sent us a city bylaw about indemnification, which says the city will compensate all municipal officials for their legal costs. 
McCallum's first court appearance on the public mischief charge is scheduled for January 25th. Key evidence in the case is believed to be surveillance video from the Save on Foods parking lot. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, Romina Dea joins us live with more on this case. Romina, McCallum sits on the Surrey Police Board. He's the chair of it. So what does that mean for his future there? You're right. He is the chair of the police board, an important role, Sophie. And despite, you know, public concern out there right now regarding public trust or a potential conflict of interest, legally, McCallum does not have to step down. There was a statement released late this afternoon by the police board, and they are saying that according to the Police Act, the chair must be the mayor, adding that the Surrey Police Service will continue to move forward. Now, the board also stressed that it is independent from the chair. But it's interesting to note that if there's a tie on a matter, the chair, that would be McCallum, would be the one that would be casting the deciding vote. Now, critics say it's not right and the mayor needs to step aside now. Well, Mayor McCallum clearly has to step down temporarily, at least as the chair of the Surrey Police Board. He cannot be in charge and chairing a Surrey Police Services Board while he's facing a criminal charge. Now, what's the mayor's next move? We don't know at this point. He is not commenting because the matter is before the court. Back to you. All right. Well, we'll see uh, how this all unfolds. Thanks for that, Rimina Dea, reporting tonight. Now, one day after Transportation Minister Rob Fleming said the Coquihalla Highway could reopen to commercial traffic by the beginning of next month, he and his federal counterpart got their first on-the-ground look at the monumental repair job. John Hua has that and the latest word from the people working on the front lines. This sound might as well be a metronome keeping construction crews on pace as they take on the massive jaw. Repairing the Coquihalla Highway after it was literally ripped apart by recent storms and flooding. This is a massive job, and that's why our crews have been full out uh, working around the clock to rebuild this corridor. And as you can see, it's, it's winter, it's less than ideal conditions. This is a close-up look of some of the worst-hit areas along the 543-kilometer stretch that was damaged in 20 different locations with five bridge spans left completely in ruins. So this is the bottle top bridge. This was probably one of the most significantly impacted sites on the whole corridor. First, the river had to be diverted back to its original location. Then a temporary access bridge was set up alongside the broken section. This one has been done exceptionally quick to get it built uh, and traffic running on it. Incredible feats of engineering that have crews feeling optimistic. They'll be able to reopen the highway to essential commercial traffic by early January. Largest obstacle just getting to the damaged areas to start making temporary repairs. We managed to do that construction access last week and that uh, was, was what really enabled the crews to get going. On a tour of the Coquihalla, the B.C. and Canadian transportation ministers witnessed the devastation with their own eyes. Hearing about it in theory on in pictures is one thing. Seeing it firsthand on the ground is quite uh, revealing. That humbling experience only outmatched by the sheer dedication of the hundreds of workers determined to get Highway 5 back online.
it's a testament to people who've been working around the clock. I, I can't imagine what it's like to be here at four in the morning, but that's what the shift work is like right now. Despite this incredible work, an important dose of reality for those waiting to take this route. It won't be like it was. It won't be a four-lane freeway all the way through. The road towards the permanent rebuild of the Coquihalla, including new climate protection standards, is a much larger undertaking that still needs to be mapped out. John Hua, Global News. And more tours of the flood zones today. Agriculture ministers for both the provincial and federal governments got their first up-close look today at the devastation in the Fraser Valley. B.C. Minister Lana Popham and Federal Minister Marie-Claude Bibot toured a poultry farm hit hard by the flooding. The Agriculture Ministry estimates the floods killed more than 600,000 chickens, more than 400 dairy cows and 12,000 hogs. More than 100 beehives were lost as well. The ministers say aside from both governments' pledge to match Red Cross donations, they're waiting to get more information on the damage before they decide on further aid. End of the day, we just want to be able to help each other. The biggest thing that we are going to be doing is that's going to take the longest. The fields are a mess. We've had so many conversations one-on-one -on -one with farmers and farm families, and they are identifying for us some of the gaps that are more immediate. And we've had that conversation today that we need to figure out a way to address that more immediate need as we continue to develop a program for the future. Now, along with the lost livestock, countless hectares of crops were lost, many of which will take years to replace. Barns, silos and farm equipment were also destroyed. And now that the long cleanup and recovery has begun, the mayor of Abbotsford is warning of the potential for an even worse disaster in the future. Henry Braun says if the Fraser Valley's dikes are just repaired and not upgraded, a Fraser River flood could make this disaster look like a walk in the park. Amadagahi reports. It can happen in a split second, and the consequences have played out right before our eyes. And as the mayor of Abbotsford announced most of the evacuated people in that community can finally go home, it came with a stark warning that this difficult chapter in their history will more than likely repeat itself. The existing disaster with Sumas Prairie will pale in comparison if the Matsqui dikes breach. After record rainfall and unexpected flow of water flowing north from the Nooksack River, the Sumas dike did not do its job, leading to much of the devastation. In the face of more inclement weather, there are fears the same could happen at the nearby Matsqui dike, protecting thousands of people from the wrath of the much more powerful Fraser River. I'm more afraid of the Fraser Dike or the Matsqui Dike breaking on the Fraser. The last flood we had there was 1948 and it was a mess. That flood in 1948 serves as evidence showing what could go wrong and how vulnerable people living in that section of Abbotsford are. BC governments in the past have been warned, including in 2015 when its own assessment report found the Matsqui Dike to be seismically unstable and in danger of failure due to erosion. This isn't rocket science. Eventually, if there's a confluence of what we had here, record rainfall, heavy snow melt, warm temperatures, uh, that dike's going to break. In a statement Friday, the province's NDP government said since it came to power, it has been working with First Nations and local governments to better address flood risks 
and has invested over $103 million to support nearly 250 flood risk reduction projects. But Braun estimates the price tag to replace the Matsqui and Sumas dikes will be $1 billion. Every time what I see is the repetition of the same kind of mistakes. Um, when disaster occurs, for a very short period of time, you have window of opportunity to do something. And experts add that when it comes to avoiding these disaster events, a dollar spent on mitigation translates to three to eight times its value in prevented damage. Emad Agahi, Global News. And of course, at times like this, British Columbians always step up to help. Global BC, 980 CKNW, AM 730 and Global Okanagan are partnering for BC Together in support of BC flood relief. Visit globalnews.ca slash BC Together to check out the group stepping up to help and donate to an organization of your choice. Well, the next storm is on deck, packing rain, wind and snow for some areas. And if you're taking a ferry, you'd best check their website as a number of sailings have already been cancelled tonight. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is here with a closer look at what we're expecting. Christy. Thanks, so. So first, I want to mention that there are warnings and watches all across the province, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. I'll detail it out when I come back. First, a look at the south coast. Those are the regions that are getting hit right now with wind and rain. So we are expecting significant rain overnight where there are some pockets that could see an excess of 60 millimeters. There is a high stream flow advisory in place now for all of the south coast. Now, not only that, we're expecting very strong winds through the Strait of Georgia, southern parts of the lower mainland, near the water could see southeast gusts up to 80 kilometers an hour overnight. There is a potential for power outages and as we head to tomorrow morning it will ease off. When I come back as I mentioned Sophie significant snow and other warnings I'll show you which areas could receive 30 centimeters of snow. Yikes. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. A new movement has been launched to bring the Olympics back to Vancouver. The hope would be to host the Winter Games in 2030. Not the first time the idea has been floated, but this bid would be very different. Why the proponents say this would be an Olympic first in just over a minute. A teenage boy struck by a car less than 100 feet from his front door. How his death has sparked a movement for safer streets later. Also tonight, saying goodbye to a star of the 60s and looking back on his memorable visit to Vancouver. Right now, though, it's only been 11 years since Vancouver last hosted the Olympics, but the movement to bring back the Games has new momentum. Four First Nations who put aside historic division to come together for the 2010 Games are thinking of doing it again and are exploring their own bid for 2030. Nitu Garcha reports. We're going to explore the feasibility of an Indigenous-led Olympic Games. This is the start of what could be a world first, an Indigenous-led Olympics. This is really um, a moment in history. A legend being made. Leaders from the Lilwat, Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations signing a memorandum of understanding with the city of Vancouver and resort municipality of Whistler. Everybody knows that this is our territory. You know, the acknowledgement that we're getting from the world is 
unbelievable today. Storytelling would be a critical part of the games, says chief of the Lilwat Nation. We're still under the Indian Act. We're still living on reservations. And yeah, it's a very glorified um, place to be in the Olympics and stuff, but to, to truly understand the relationship. We had differences between our nations, and it was 2010 that brought us back together again. Before the prospect of this happening again in B.C. becomes real, a feasibility study is planned. An official bid could follow late next year with costs in the billions. How is this going to be feasible for for our nations to be a part of? But also, you know, it comes down to the cost. Climate change considerations are also key. Because of what's happening with the floods, wildfires, and as Indigenous people, we we have laws about protecting the land. Snow had to be trucked in for the 2010 Games, and research suggests the region's mountains could have even less by 2030. So you can see that we're getting a lot more of the snow as rain, and uh, average temperatures are slowly moving up. It's about how we as settlers can reshape how we live on these unceded lands. It's a privilege to put my shoulder behind this investigation and this effort. First Nations leaders with a lot to consider say this announcement alone is an important step. I think this is a big part of reconciliation. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. Up next, a COVID resurgence in Canada. This virus keeps dealing us the next card in the deck. The concerning outlook for the weeks ahead and how Omicron could make things worse. And later tonight, a Christmas tree with a somber message. Extra busy for westbound traffic at the Portman Bridge tonight. There's a crash at the west end blocking two lanes with emergency crews on scene. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. As the holiday season kicks into high gear, health officials are warning us about a COVID-19 resurgence. Canada is currently seeing an uptick in cases driven by the dominant Delta variant. But if Omicron takes hold, we could see a surge in infections. Aaron MacArthur reports. Just in time for the holidays, it appears Canadians will be re-gifted another round of COVID-19. This virus keeps dealing us the next card in the deck. Health officials are warning that Christmas, for a second straight year, is going to have to look a little different. I think that people can have smaller gatherings um, safely as long as they're, you know, exercising some judgment. The concern right now is a December surge, no matter what strain is dominant. According to the Public Health Agency of Canada, given the current levels of social interaction, Canada could see quadruple the number of cases, especially if the Omicron variant takes hold. Something that is already happening. Omicron identified in 10% of positive samples in Ontario. It's anticipated that we'll have a significant rise in the coming weeks uh, and in the next month. The one advantage Canadians have this winter is access to vaccines. Prioritizing people for a third booster dose and the introduction of first shots for kids under 11 will work in our favour. The most crucial steps, however, remain the ones we have all grown so weary of. If we can use filtration, ventilation, mask wearing, symptom checks to high effectiveness, we don't need to close things down uh, quite probably. 
Travel hasn't been curtailed officially, but it is being strongly advised against. Things are happening very quickly outside of Canada. And so if they think of traveling, that should be a serious alarm bell. The federal government promising to ramp up mandatory testing of inbound travelers. On November 30th, 11,000 travelers were being tested every day at Canadian airports. Thursday, that number was up to 17,000. But there are still 6,000 untested travelers arriving in Canada every day. The government has contracted Life Labs to help fill that gap in B.C. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, focusing in now on B.C.'s COVID-19 numbers, we have 437 new cases, 2,994 active cases now. 211 people are in hospital, 72 of those patients are in the ICU. Three more people have died of complications of the virus. Let's bring in Keith Baldry, who has more on children being vaccinated in this mm -hmm. province, where it's happening and where it's not happening as much. Keith? And, of course, as we saw with adults, it's varying depending on where you live in B.C. So we hit an important milestone. Forty percent of the kids now, there's about 350,000 of them, have now been registered to get their vaccines. Here's how it breaks down by health authority. Uh, Fraser Health has the most registrations, but not the most vaccinations. Uh, you can see Vancouver Coastal has the most vaccinations and the second most registrations. Where there's a concern, though, Soph, is down there in the bottom. Northern only has 6,000 registered. That's less than 25 percent of the population population that's eligible there. Uh, that reflects a low vaccination rate amongst adults as well. Vancouver Coastal actually has the highest vaccination rate at more than 52%. Uh, one of the concerns also is the number of people being registered is not matching the number of people being vaccinated. So the gap between the 140,000 there and almost 50,000 vaccination is going to start to close quite rapidly. So look for uh, public health officials and government officials in the days ahead to launch a new campaign to really convince parents to get their kids vaccinated and register which is the start to the vaccination process. All right, Keith, and you have an updated case count on the Omicron variant in our province. Yeah, it's doubled in just a few days. It was five a few days ago. It's now up to 10 uh, in Vancouver Coastal, Fraser and Vancouver Island. But to put this in perspective, uh, the Delta variant is still very much the variant of concern in B.C. In the 10 days we've uh, pinpointed and confirmed those 10 Omicron cases, we've had more than 3,500 Delta cases uh, uh, confirmed. More than 170 people have been hospitalized because of Delta and 48 people have died because of Delta. None of the hospitalizations or deaths as of yet are associated with Omicron, but it doubled very quickly and it's doubling elsewhere at a very uh, quick rate and we'll see where it goes in BC. All right, thanks for that, Keith. All right. Coming up, the call for safer streets. Our streets are not safe and people are going to keep dying if we don't fix things. How a heartbreaking tragedy has highlighted what some say has long been a problem. Also tonight, how fortifying our flood defenses may not protect everything. Traffic is finally starting to ease off in both directions here on Highway 1 through Burnaby after multiple earlier problems closer to the Cassiar Tunnel. There's just some leftover delays for eastbound traffic through the Burnaby Lake stretch near Kensington. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. 
Delta police are asking for help to find a 49-year-old Tawasan woman who hasn't been seen since Wednesday night. Davina Louise McCaig left her home in the central Tawasan area east of 56th Street at around 6.30 p.m. She was wearing black yoga pants at the time and carrying a blue and gray backpack with a UBC baseball logo at the time of her disappearance. Police say this is very much out of character for her and her family and police are very concerned for her well-being. She's Caucasian, around 5 feet 9 inches tall, with straight brown hair and green eyes. If you have information, you are asked to call police. An unthinkable tr family tragedy has sparked a grassroots rally in Saanich. The death of a teenager hit by a car while in a crosswalk just steps from his home as residents demanding the city make changes. Kylie Stanton reports. A family in mourning lay flowers at the scene of a tragic accident that cut a young life short Monday night. 16-year-old Cadence Bork was getting off the bus and was struck by a vehicle in a marked crosswalk less than 30 meters from his home. He was rushed to hospital but never regained consciousness, succumbing to his injuries the following day. His mother, Crystal, confirming the news in a Facebook post, saying, I have never felt this much pain in all my life. I don't know if I will ever recover from this. Our streets are not safe. The news now rippling through the community. It's just very close to home as a parent. It sparked Saanich residents to once again rally for safer streets. People are going to keep dying if we don't fix things. Every day I see safety issues. Every day I have to take defensive action to avoid being injured on the roads. Through a petition and sharing personal experience, they're renewing their calls for the city of Saanich to commit to Vision Zero, the principle of zero deaths or serious injury on the roads, while accelerating improvements on high-risk crossings and corridors. Saanich has a great active transportation plan, but it's a 30-year plan. So that means my children will be advocating for the safety of their children before Saanich is, is finished. The mayor wasn't available for comment, but in a statement said, we hear the concerns and calls for improvements to road safety and agree more needs to be done. In this case, the driver is fully cooperating with the ongoing police investigation, while the community is doing what they can to show their support. A GoFundMe has raised nearly $60,000 for the family. Still processing the loss, they've offered this statement, saying we love him so much and nothing is going to bring him back. But the fact that so many people care is amazing and we cannot accurately express our gratitude to the people we know and the people we don't. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich. BC's Independent Investigations Office is recommending criminal charges against a police officer in a man's death two years ago. Clayton Donnelly died October 29, 2019, after a confrontation with police. Early the previous morning, police received a report of an erratic driver near Lake Country. They tried to stop him twice and finally caught up with him in Malacqua, 120 kilometers from the first sighting. Police accused Donnelly of resisting arrest and used a taser on him. Now the IIO has concluded the officer may have used too much force and committed a criminal offense during the arrest. It's now up to the Crown to decide whether to proceed.
Well, at a time when more British Columbians than ever are dying from illicit drug overdoses, a special tribute is being paid to the victims. Members of the group Moms Stop the Harm have decorated a Christmas tree at Kelowna General Hospital with ornaments bearing the faces of the loved ones they've lost. The campaign was started three years ago by a mother in Powell River. The white trees of hope are being put up at healthcare facilities and shelters across the country. The aim is to help reduce the stigma surrounding overdose deaths. The opioid crisis um, is it's actually a medical emergency. What better place to, to uh, show that than in a medical facility? But we want people to recognize that um, drug harms can happen to anybody. It could be anybody's child. More than 200 people died from suspected illicit drug overdoses in B.C. in the month of October, the deadliest month on record, and we've already recorded the highest number of deaths for a year, for a year at almost 1,800. Up next, fish-friendly flood control. It really comes down to how is it that we want to live with water, and we need to change the way we think about that. How some flood protection can actually do more harm than good. And later... What the new Canucks coach really thinks of that chant. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, last month's weather disaster put BC's flood defenses under a microscope. They exist to protect people and property, but they have an impact on valuable salmon habitat. And now, as Paul Johnson reports, there are growing calls to consider the effects of dikes, floodgates and pumps on fish stocks. And right now we're looking at some very fish unfriendly gates. This is the Maple Creek uh, pump station in Port Coquitlam. Lena Aziz of the Watershed Watch Salmon Society brought us here Friday to point out a piece of our region's infrastructure that doesn't work for salmon. Every time it's pulling water through the dike and into the Mainstem River, it's pulling fish, it's pulling amphibians and grinding them up in the machinery of the pumps. Last month's disaster in the Fraser Valley was a sudden reminder of how we've come to depend on our region's flood fortifications. But the hundreds of kilometers of dikes and dozens of pump stations and gates are actually terrible for our wild salmon. That depend on natural wetlands for spawning and rearing before they head out to sea. Along with climate change and fish farms, the structures are a major contributor to the decline of West Coast salmon. Dikes and pump stations have been a huge factor in the decline of fish populations in the lower Fraser. We don't have a good handle on it, but intuitively, given the geographic area, it has been massive. So all of the things we've done to protect ourselves from floods are generally good for people, bad for salmon. So the question is, are there things we can do to modify our flood fortifications that are actually better for the fish? Aziz says yes and points out that fish-friendly pump equipment is already available. And dikes can be modified in ways to provide better habitat in floods, but still protect people and property. And as government is poised to make massive investments in both wild salmon restoration and flood protection, she says now is the time to achieve both, provided the money gets spent on the right things. 
it really comes down to how is it that we want to live with water and we need to change the way we think about that. In Port Coquitlam, Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon once again. Uh, Christy, you said lots of special weather statements or warnings? Uh, both, actually. It's just a mess, really, all across the province. So I'll break things down as best I can. For starters, across the south coast, we're already seeing the wind and the rain pick up. We're expecting significant rain up to 60 millimeters by tomorrow morning. Some pockets could see even more. Also winds. Here's a look. We're talking about winds overnight up to 80 kilometers an hour. Outer coast up to 110. So possibility of power outages, certainly. Tomorrow, the winds die down, but we're still expecting it to be blustery throughout the day. Uh, I'm just going to back things up and and somehow we lost that warning. I want to show you this warning page really quickly, everyone. This is the interior region. So the interior, we are also expecting strong winds up to 90 kilometers an hour for the Okanagan Valley, especially in through Penticton. Southerly winds mainly tomorrow, but picking up overnight. Also heavy snowfall. So Nakasp and Nelson, 20 centimeters. The Kootenai Pass up to 40 centimeters and Elk Valley up to 30. So this is a major system that's going to drive in overnight. Heaviest will be overnight through the morning hours tomorrow but tomorrow we will start to see some breaks of blue sky but there still is some pulse of moisture meaning what we're going to get is these pockets of precipitation certainly the possibility of intense showers in through the interior and the south coast as well and i wouldn't rule out the possibility of a brief burst of at least wet snow at the very least uh, downpours of rain are possible with that mix of sunshine tomorrow and a heads up saturday night into sunday we could see some snow tune in tomorrow for more details on that. Here's your central windows weather window from the Nass River area. Bruce sending us this one. This was the sunset last night. Gorgeous shot there with the colors and the little and that snow on the ground. I shouldn't say little. You're probably thinking, no, that's a lot. All right, <laughs> back to you, so. All right, looks like a painting. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> Monkey's singer-songwriter Michael Nesmith has died. Take a look at this file footage of the made-for-television rock band in Vancouver to play a gig back in 1969. Nesmith, often refer uh, remembered as the quiet monkey who wore the green wool hat, wrote many popular songs for the band, including Mary Mary and Circle in the Sky. After the group broke up in 1970, he had a long career not only in music, but also as a writer, producer, and film director. His family says he passed away peacefully this morning of natural causes. Nesmith was 78 years old. And a um, little trivial note about Michael Nesmith. Mm -hmm. His mother, who I think's name was Betty, or Bet, mm -hmm. invented liquid paper. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. See? I don't, talented family. I don't even want to know why you know that. I just enjoy it. I don't know why do. I know that either, but All I right. hope it's true because it's been stuck in my head for years. Can uh, they do it three times? Well, we'll find out. A lot of the Canuck players, of course, didn't know what to expect when Bruce Boudreaux arrived as their new head coach, but defenseman Brad Hunt did because he has played for Bruce before. He just loves the game so much, and I think that feeds off into the dressing room as well as his passion and his life is something that's contagious. And Brad Hunt will get to play tonight. For Bruce Boudreaux against Winnipeg. Also ahead, a very appealing satellite debris. All right, Squire. All right, let's talk Canucks. We'll start uh, with the Boudreaux bounce. Can it continue? For Vancouver tonight, Winnipeg is in town. The uh, Jets played last night just down the road in Seattle. They won that game 3-0. The 
The uh, Canucks will start Thatcher Demko in goal. He has been brilliant this week, allowing only one in two games. Let's see if the offense helps him out a little more than it did against Boston. And we still need more from Elias Pettersson. No shots on goal against the Bruins. That can't be. Uh, with more on tonight's game, let's go down to Rogers Arena and Barry. The Canucks will try to keep the magic going under Bruce Boudreau for a third straight time against the Jets, but there is a challenge on the blue line now. Oliver ekman Larson remains out. He missed the last game, and now Travis Hamanick is out for a couple of weeks. That means Brad Hunt will come into the lineup for just the fifth time this year, but he does have a history playing with Boudreau in Minnesota. And like I told the, the coaches, I mean, if we've got a guy here and we get two injuries and, and we don't use him and he's been here, why do we have him here? I mean, got to give him an opportunity to play. I think everybody deserves a second chance, and this is, this is Brad's tonight. That seems to be the theme since Boudreaux arrived, giving players chances that they didn't get under Travis Green. And just how much that positive vibe really affects the players in a positive way. It's a new season, new start with Bruce. He's a happy-go-lucky guy, as I'm sure you guys have already already seen. And uh, he light, lightens the mood, and the guys are having fun. And I think when you're having fun, you're playing your best. And I think you guys can see that. Everyone's coming to the rink with a smile on their face and uh, kind of forgotten about the past, and we move forward with the future. You know, you can go into the dressing room and have a conversation with them, and it's not like you're... There's a time and a place where, you know, they're going to be hard on you and it's your coach and you obviously have that respect, but there's a time and a place too where you can just talk um, like grown men and, and uh, you know, and not be awkward, nothing like that. So I think that's one of the big things is just uh, that communication and, uh, you know, him just being one of the guys. It's hard to think of any Canucks coach who's made a bigger splash or had this much of an emotional connection with the fan base in his first week with the team, and it's showing no signs of calming down. I went out to dinner last night, and they were singing that stupid song, and I went like this, and they shut up, and that was the end of that. But uh, uh, even talking to my mom, she said, it's about time you called me. Like, I mean, it's been, it's been such a whirlwind that I've never... You know, I've gone to new teams, but it's never been anything like it is here. Now, we will be hearing from new Canucks boss Jim Rutherford until Monday morning at 11 o'clock, but Bruce Boudreaux is very happy his old friend is coming to Vancouver to be his boss. They go a long way back. In fact, Boudreaux's first ever NHL goal was against Jim Rutherford, who, of course, was a goalie when he played. And uh, Boudreaux says the entire league likes Jim Rutherford. The thing that I, when you talk about Jim, it's respect what he's done in this league, winning three Stanley Cups and just uh, retooling teams uh, time after time and the respect he holds from the rest of the people in the league and being a Hall of Fame uh, guy, I mean, I don't think this team could have done any better in getting somebody to overlook the, overlook the, the next wave of Canucks. At the NHL meetings today in Florida, Gary Bettman says if the NHL Players Association wants to go to the Olympics in February, the league is not going to stand in their way. However, the Players Association does want more information from the IOC and those running the games about quarantines and what happens if a player tests positive for COVID in China. The NHL has until January 10th to make a final decision on whether to go or not. Also announced today... The league says the salary cap is going to go up by a million dollars next year, so it'll be $82.5 million per team. BC Lions linebacker Bo Lacombo has been named the Canadian Player of the Year at the CFL Awards tonight. Fifth BC line to win that award. 
Uh, he had a great season this year, despite the team not having one. A career-high four sacks and three picks, including the one you just saw there, which was his first-ever defensive touchdown. And his fellow linebacker, Jordan Williams, named the CFL's Rookie of the Year. This is an award the Lions have won a lot during their history. He is the 13th Lion to be the best freshman in the CFL. Laurent Dubray of Canada. This is in Calgary. World Cup speed skating. He broke a national record today. Winning gold in the 500 meters. The old record held by Jeremy Wolderspoon set back in 2007. He's been on the podium seven straight times at this distance. Look for him at the Olympics as well. Oh, while we're on the uh, subject of winter sports, why not this? World Cup women's skeleton from Winterburg, Germany, Varela Raneva of Ottawa had yet the podium this season, but she was third after the first run and third after the second run, so she gets a bronze medal in a race that was won by Kimberly Boss of the Netherlands. I know. Did you say Winterburg? Winterburg, Germany. It makes sense. Yeah, they, they never do any summer sports there, <laughs> ever. All right, uh, stick around because Satellite Debris is next. Yes, that's right. All right, Satellite Debris time. Okay, we're going to start off with a commercial that has to do with... Um, Mandarin oranges. <laughs> yes. I'm John Burke. I'm the head of product demonstration for Peels, the juicy, delicious citrus snack. My job is to teach people how to peel peels. I love my job. I do. This is John Burke. He spends all day at work trying to show people that mandarins work. Do people need my service? That's a great question, but need is such a complex word. John Burke can see feels are really quite easy. His job is the epitome of redundancy. I am a proud graduate of the Institute of Citrus Technology. Took me about 18 semesters to get the certificate, but I earned it. John should have known, even as a teenager, how to peel citrus was a bad college major. How did it take him nine years? No one ever stops and talks to me. And that's okay. Because when I put on this suit, I demand attention. And by demand, I mean I ask very politely. But I'm used to rejection. You don't need a suit. You're just explaining fruit. Your job is really stupid, and you should get the boot. But if I could reach just one person in this entire career choice, it'd all be worth it. John Burke is nervous. He knows he has no purpose. In fact, his whole career can be summed up in six words. You peel them, you eat them, you peel them, you eat them, you peel them, you eat them, you peel them, then you eat them, you peel 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 Nine percent of everyone in the world probably knows how to peel a mandarin. You peel them, then you eat them. Any questions? Yeah, so you don't need to go oh, to school to know that. He's going to get fired. Okay, so this, um, this commercial we showed you last year, it's a good Christmas commercial. Let's watch it again. Please join us after our final number for some chocolate and cherry mince pies.
Oh, I must say, I, I thought you played that really well, Jill. I did, didn't I? Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, my stomach is growling I, I've been told you may need a Kleenex for this. This is a commercial that shows you that nobody should be alone at Christmas. There we go. are really that That cute. drone knows the true meaning of Christmas. Oh, isn't that adorable? There you go. I didn't need a tissue, but <laughs> almost, almost. Uh, we will need umbrellas and maybe just stay inside, Christy. Yeah, and just be careful. We could see some power outages tonight, so just be aware of that. I always hate it when uh, people get surprised. Oh, the power's out! <laughs> so that's a possibility. Yeah. All right, everyone, stay dry. Have a good night. Have a great weekend.